Welcome to Marketing Thought Leadership, the podcast that offers insightful discussions on thought-provoking marketing topics. Here's the host of our show, marketing consultant, speaker, author, and educator, and the president of Leverage 2 Market Associates, Linda Popke. Hi, this is Linda Popke. Welcome to our latest episode of Marketing Thought Leadership. I'm here today with Jane Willis, who is a partner in Proper Rebel. Jane has successfully launched dozens of products at major corporations and startups. She was the vice president of product marketing at Adobe Systems, and she also headed marketing for PayCycle, which was sold to Intuit. Today, she's a partner at the marketing services firm Proper Rebel with a mission to help companies launch and grow products. She loves to coach and teach, and most recently, she's created a video series focused on sharing lean go-to-market action plans in bite-sized episodes. So welcome, Jane. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So tell us, first of all, because you're working a lot with smaller companies and, and helping them launch, what do they need to think about if you're not an Adobe, if you're a small company get going? If you need, what do you need to think about and put in place before you launch a product? I like that question. Uh, one of the things my partner and I have spent a lot of time on since we both worked at large companies and startups, and we really tried to figure out what are the best practices of big companies who usually spend a huge amount of time and effort and money on the strategy process, what are the best practices there that we can uh, adopt in a really lean way for, for small companies. So I think that one of the most important things is to make sure that you have product market fit. And that means that you really understand who your target customer is uh, and you validate that they have a real pain point that you can address and that they're willing to solve it part one of it. Um, the second part is your product does solve that need. And the third is that the market is actually big enough, there's enough of those customers for you to really have a business. Um, that's a really important thing. And uh, so once you've done that, then you start to do detailed personas that you really understand who those customers are, what they care about, where you can reach them. You have to have a competitive strategy where you really ensure that you have a differentiation point and you write that out in a way that is appealing to customers. You have to have a price that makes sense based on what customers are willing to pay and what competition charges. Hmm. Messaging um, that really highlights how you solve the pain. And we also think you need to map the buyer journey. So those are some of the key strategy questions. And once you've done all of that, I think you're in a good place to go out and do some of the fun stuff, write the copy and do the assets and the content and the campaigns. You know, it's funny you mention this as, as having to be done first because in my book, Marketing Above the Noise, I talk about kind of these key components of of getting market leverage, and they're almost exactly what you've outlined here. And sometimes everybody wants to jump in. We've got a great product. We've got this fun service we want to launch, and let's go do creative, and let's go do a campaign. Um, and so it, it's important that you make sure that you've got these things done, done first. I want to go back to something you started with, which is product and market fit. Uh, and maybe we can talk a little bit about this. You said it's understanding the customer and understanding their pain point. How do you know exactly – when you've got a good product fit? What's a good way to know about that? Mm -hmm. So we think you have to go out and actually talk to customers. There's a process that we recommend, and in fact, one of our videos that uh, we just created is on product market fit. 
But the first step is that you have to really go out there and once you have in mind who the customer is that you want to go after, you're going to go out and do some in-depth interviews with them and really explore what are their pains, what gains could they possibly get from working with your um, product, and you know, really get a sense of uh, who they are and what you can do for them. You're also then going to show them your product. Maybe you have it ready and you can show it. Maybe you're just going to describe it. But basically, you're going to get a sense of how well are you actually solving the problem. And then you're going to ask them how much are you willing to pay for it. And we think that you can do that you know, first in um, these kind of in-depth interviews, but later you may want to validate by going out and actually doing a survey to be sure uh, in a quantitative way that you know, you're right on some of your assumptions. But the bottom line is, you know, getting inside the heads of customers is really the, the key. The key. I think that's, that's critical, and it's, it's the opposite of what we see so much in Silicon Valley, which is if we build it, they will come, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's actually going back and saying, what do we need to build and who are we building it for? And, and one of the things you mentioned earlier was a competitive strategy. So it, mm-hmm. it seems to me that it's not just going out and seeing what customers want, but you have to see what else is out there. How do companies improve competitive research or competitive strategy? I'm, I'm not sure they all do it very well right now. Yeah, that's a really great point. Um, and it's funny, one of the things we believe about competitive strategy is that you can't just do it once. You have to be doing it ongoing. It's interesting, I have a, a client right now who uh, basically they're the market leader in their you know, category that they're in. And they spent something like two years ignoring the competition, and we just went out and did a review of what their competitors are saying on their website. And most of these are smaller competitors. A couple of them are about the same size. And basically what has happened is that in these two years that they weren't paying attention, their competitors have completely adopted their messaging, and everything is starting to look really similar. And so, you know, now they need to pay attention to that and, you know, kind of leapfrog these guys again. And they, you know, they're, they're doing it um, definitely with their products, but marketing needs to do it as well and make sure that your messaging stays differentiated. Now, I think that's absolutely that, critical. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll also say that, you know, there's all kinds of ways that companies can compete So we actually had created kind of a menu. Uh, At one point we were like, what are all the different ways that companies could possibly compete? And we we created a list, and there's something like, I don't know, 25 major categories on them. But often people tend to think, well, it's about features or maybe it's about price value, like I'm going to be, you know, the low-end solution or the high-end solution. But there's tons of other ways, like business model, for instance. I mean, maybe, maybe it's price, but maybe it's the fact that you're uh, a membership model or a freemium model, or maybe it's the way you take it to market. might be service. I mean, Apple is doing an incredible job using their genius bars, I think, are one of the reasons why people choose Apple. Other companies, you know, you can sell service, you can bundle service, but service can be a differentiator. Oh, how about Nordstrom's? I mean, no, absolutely. That's one of sure. the great things they do there. Um, Amazon, Zappos, all those guys, you know, service are, are really one of the things they do to differentiate. Design is another one. So, uh, for instance, um, Fiat's electric car, the Fiat 500, 
Mm -hmm. that they've managed to stand out in a really crowded market by really leaning hard into design. And, you know, it plays out not only in how they look, but the way you buy the product. So you're able to um, customize your fiat because the design is really important. And then in their advertising, when you see their ads and I think their tagline is something like sexy environmentalism. So they've, you know, really leaned into that. Um, and then, you know, there's more. It could be things about um, your category position, your, your, maybe you're a platform player, et cetera. But anyway, there's a huge list of ways that you can compete, and those might change over time. But I think my net message here is that you have to be really thoughtful about understanding what your competitive play is turning it into messaging that really differentiates you, and then keeping your eye on the ball there to make sure that you stay ahead. I think that's absolutely critical, and I think your, your example of the company that was way ahead and sort of uh, let things stand, and now two years later things are catching up or, or co competitors are catching up, it's absolutely important. And we see that so often where, gee, we're set, we're good, and, you know, think about taxis before Uber came along. Everything was yeah. fine until it wasn't, or hotels before Airbnb. So, or anybody before Amazon came in, you know, bookstores or office supply stores or whatever. So I, I think it's important that, that you do that, and, and I love the way that you talk about 25 or more ways you can compete, which, you, you're, again, is not just product and it's not just price. So it seems to me that a lot of of how to focus some of this stuff is really based on customer insights and, and some of the things that you've learned from going out and having these discussions with customers and prospects. How do you build that into a product launch strategy? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think the answer is early and often um, and probably all around the company. Yeah. So as we said, you know, first we think you do some in-depth interviews early um, the goal being to kind of build out your personas and kind of get a read on which features are most important and most unique. And, uh, you know, I learned somewhere along the way that you can't rely on, actually really early in my career, I learned that you can't always rely on what the product manager or the engineer is going to tell you is the most important thing. Like here's a, here's a really old story, but one that has um, – basically one that has really helped me a ton in my career, and I've really learned from it. So this was many years ago when I was in charge of direct marketing for uh, an Apple software company called Claris. We made software for uh, at the Apple computer. And we had a product coming out in, that had – this was a product called FileMaker. And the product managers were telling me that the most important thing that was coming out was this feature called scripting that allowed you to basically code various um, actions that this, this product would do. And so we basically did some direct mail to try to sell the upgrades to this thing, and it just wasn't selling. And I thought, hmm, I wonder whether we haven't figured out what the most important feature is here. And so I did a very simple survey, which I now do almost every time I launch a product. And basically there were two questions. You outline what are the features or functions or the things that you're trying to sell. And then you ask your potential customers, how important is this and how unique is it? And mm -hmm. out of that you, of course, get um, – well, the important part is the really critical thing, the thing that they're really willing to pay for. But then, of course, the unique question gets at which of these are something that your competitors isn't offering. Now, in this old story that I'm telling you, what we found out 
was that the most important thing, the thing that they really would pay for, was the fact that you could automatically configure this thing to print out labels to put on your envelopes. Oh, interesting. And, and I mean, this was in the minds of the engineers and the product managers, this tiny little thing. Oh, you can you know, enter the number of your label, and that little thing is going to make it easier for people to print out labels. Now, clearly this is an old-school story, but the lesson is still very valid, which is something that solves a real pain point for somebody. Like imagine you're trying to print out your labels and they're not printing in the right place and it's like wasting tons of time and it's super frustrating. Are you willing to pay $99 to solve that problem? Absolutely yes. Are you willing to pay $99 for some ex- theoretically exciting new feature that maybe you will learn to use, maybe you won't? Apparently not. And what was interesting was that the survey showed that people were not rating that scripting feature important or that the majority of people were not. The majority of people were this crazy label feature. And so we changed our messaging, rolled this offer out with this label feature foremost, and we sold a ton of them. And so, you know, many, many years ago, I figured out, boy, you as a company may be in love with some really cutting edge thing, but the thing that makes the customer's day-to-day life better may be the thing, even if it's a little on the dull side, may be the thing that is really going to sell your product. So the net net of that story is you shouldn't always believe your, I guess, drink your own Kool-Aid or whatever the expression right. is, and you know, really go out and talk to customers and, and find out. Um, and then just to add to that, ways to do that, I mean, uh, uh, for instance, when I worked at PayCycle, which was a, um, an online payroll product, we would go out and do these watch-me-work sessions. Sometimes we called them follow-me-home, and we would literally go to their place of business, and we would just watch them run payroll the old way, and mm-hmm. then we would watch them run payroll with PayCycle so we could see uh, you know, what, what was painful about doing it the old way and then how we were solving it. Um, so anyway, that, that's just you know, another idea about how to do it. And, and this is fascinating because, again, I, I think you're right. We, especially when you have a technology product, we get sometimes hung up on, wow, this is a cool feature. Look what we can do. And customers are sometimes using the product in totally different ways or what we think is important is not what they're kind of hanging their hat on, so to speak, as to whether to buy it or not. So, And this is fascinating. We could talk for, for days on this. But one more question be, before we go is, is in your time, because you've done lots of launches for small companies, big companies, startups, et cetera, are there some mistakes that you see that are sort of common that you could give us a couple of hints as to how do you avoid when it comes to launching products? Mm-hmm. Well, back to product market fit, I mean, there's clues in there for some of the biggest mistakes that we see. So one is maybe you're targeting a customer that doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that I, I expect you've seen that as well, that oh, yeah. you know, you're, in, you're in love with your product, but maybe the customer doesn't. And by the way, that doesn't just happen for startups. I mean, that happened at Adobe when I was there. Um, you know, you, you can definitely make that mistake. Um, another is that you don't get the price right, either because you haven't, you know, understood what a customer will, is willing to pay, or you haven't really figured out versus the competition what is the right place to be at. Um, 
yeah, so anyway, th those are, are some of them. Um, I also see alignment problems. So it's incredibly important when you're launching a product that your entire company is organized around getting that product successfully to market. So for instance, we had one client that had pivoted um, from kind of a consumer product to an enterprise product, but they hadn't changed out any of the people or processes or functions inside their company. So Oops. they're theoretically trying to sell to an enterprise buyer, but their sales team weren't enterprise salespeople and their marketing people weren't really familiar with how to nurture leads over time. So, you know, they failed. Sure, plus um, support. Then, I mean, one of the key differences between consumers and enterprise is the level of support that your enterprise customers want, right? So you've got to get oh, that funny. organization set up as well. Yeah, funny you should say that. I was just at lunch at um, an un, a not-to-be-named major company the other day, <laughs> and as I'm waiting in line in the lunchroom, some people came up and they started talking about how they had recently launched a product but the support team had not been told. Oops. So these were people from the support team who were totally frustrated that when the phone rang, they didn't have anything to say to customers because they weren't ready. So, yeah, you make a great point on that. Um, another issue has to do with how much you're spending on your launch. So I think it's a mistake to spend too much too soon. Yep. Um, you know, you don't need to create a massive expensive push for awareness on day one most of the time. And, uh, you know, startups can run out of money if they aren't careful with the marketing spend. But on the other end of the spectrum, you can also spend too little. So yep. you haven't done enough to know whether you actually can get traction. So we tend to be believers in thinking through some really thoughtful tests and put enough into them that, you know, you get a decent read on it and then start putting more money in, as you know, uh, that it's working. And you know, then I guess finally um, focus, as we said before, focusing on the wrong benefit or, you know, launching something that isn't properly differentiated is another one. Got it. Lots of important stuff here. This is great. So if, if people wanted to find out more about it, and I know you've got these, um, this video series, you've, you've got a lot of resources, where would they go to find out more about some of the stuff that you can show people and, and tell people about how to do uh, great launches? Oh, yes. So, well, two ways. One is that uh, on our website, which is goproperrebel.com, we have a blog with a bunch of advice, and uh, we are about to hook up our video series to that website. So that, those should be available, I'd say, in um, August. The videos will be there. And then we actually also have a meetup which is called Bay Area Launchers. So if you're in the Bay Area and you're hearing this, uh, you could sign up for our Bay Area Launchers Meetup. And about once a month we have a meetup with a speaker series, and you know, we're speaking ourselves, and we're also bringing in uh, others to, to add to the story there. That sounds great. Fantastic. We've been chatting with Jane Willis. Jane is a partner at Proper Rebel, and she is, as you can hear, an expert on how do you do successful product launches. So thank you, Jane. This has been fantastic. Oh, you're very welcome. Okay, this is Linda Popke. Until next time, thank you for listening to Marketing Thought Leadership. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Marketing Thought Leadership, brought to you by Leverage 2 Market Associates. 
If you'd like to find out how powerful marketing results can transform your organization, contact us at www.leverage2market.com.